Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Outline on the inside of it and we'll begin our study in the book of Hebrews. If you have your phone, you can also follow along in the Bible app. We're in Hebrews chapter number 7, and you can follow along in the outline. Um, You know, when our community goes through these moments of just uncertainty and chaos like we've had the last week, and to be honest, the last six months, uh, I was looking at at our passage of Scripture today uh, on Wednesday morning and thinking, "Is is there somewhere else we should go this morning? And the longer I looked at Hebrews 7 and the longer I read through it, the more I was certain that this is what God would have us be challenged with this morning. So, uh, so let me pray for this part of the service, um, that in everything that's going on in our minds, we can just have a moment where we uh, dedicate the next few moments to him. Father, please bless these moments. Would you um, remove the distractions from our mind? And actually, Lord, help see through the distractions to you. Help us look at uh, this scripture with great clarity today. I pray it would encourage us. I pray it would appoint us to you like only you and your Holy Spirit and your scripture can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the galaxy in the midst the galaxy is in the midst of civil war. Rebel spies have stolen plans to the Galactic Empire's Death Star, moon-sized space station capable of destroying an enemy planet. Princess Leia has obtained the schematics, but her starship is intercepted by an Imperial Star Destroyer. But before she's captured, she hides the plan in a memory of a droid whose name is... R2-D2, who along with the protocol droid C-3PO, flees in an escape pod to a desert planet. And at one point early in the film, we hear Princess Leah breathe these heavy words. She says this, Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. The princess's heartbreaking plea in the rebellion in the rebellion's most desperate hour, is the linchpin for everything to come. She says these words, you're my only hope. 2020 has, uh, has shook us, hasn't it? It's been quite a year. If you can think back with me to January of 2020, we began uh, thinking about a new year and we thought of potential and we thought about all the things that w- would come in a, the promises that a new year held. And the new year held so much hope. And then March happened. And we learned words like pandemic and quarantine and toilet paper shortage. And we soldiered on. And then we had restrictions and limitations on nearly every part of our life, it felt like. And tragedy strikes last week as much of our county is under a cloud of smoke. I was reading yesterday morning that over one million acres in Oregon have been 
on fire in the last week. And so as we begin our study today and we look at Hebrews chapter 7, this is the question I want you to rest on is where do you anchor your hope? Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, where we ended last week, says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf, and he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We have this hope as an anchor. And as we begin this morning, I just want you to think about what anchors your hope this morning. By way of review, we're talking about the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews was written for persecuted Jewish Christians who were torn between their new faith and what they had always known before. And the central theme of the book of Hebrews, the writer is, uh, the writer is expressing to this group of Hebrew Christians is this, don't give up on Jesus because he is greater. He's greater than our present sufferings. He's greater than our doubts and our beliefs, our unbeliefs, I should say. He's greater because he is enough. We talked about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He's greater because he is our great high priest. We talked about last week, because he's greater, it's time for us as followers of Jesus Christ to move on to greater things, to move on to maturity, to get unstuck and to move on and if there was an area of our life where God is not leading that is an area of our life in need of repentance I want you to go back with me to 64 AD when this letter to the Hebrews was likely written there were Christians scratching their head Roman the Roman Empire ruled the world naming the name of Christ meant denying everything it meant denying your family your business, your home, your freedom, your life. And Christianity threatened Rome because it spread so fast and it was centered around a person, Jesus Christ. Christianity also threatened the Jewish faith because, again, it spread so fast and uh, it centered around this person, Jesus, who claimed to be not only a prophet but the very fulfillment of the law, the Old Testament law, that these Hebrew Christians took so dear to their life. And so both the Romans and the Jewish elite persecuted Christians. They were threatened. They were, their livelihoods were threatened. They were cast out from their homes. They lived in caves. They were driven away from their community and their family and everyone that they loved. And so the Jewish Christians who are the recipients of this letter, letter are fearful. They've been threatened. They're scared. And ultimately, they're losing hope. And so as a result, they were letting go of Christ and going back to what was familiar. Because when they went back to what was familiar, it, it, it gave them a sense of familiarity and because it, it allowed them to get back some of those things that they lost. They went backwards. They went back to their old heroes. They weren't holding on to their faith. So in response to the persecution and out of desperation, these Jewish Christians began to look for hope in people and places that ultimately would never be able to deliver on the promise of hope. Much of like what is happening today. 
When you do lose hope, you begin to consider desperate choices to replace that hope. And because you have to take matters in your own hand, hope suddenly becomes elusive. And so the theme of Hebrews is this, don't give up because Jesus is greater. And what the writer of Hebrews begins to explain in Hebrews chapter 7 is Jesus is our greater hope. We begin with the definition of hope in your notes there. It says this, hope is a strong, confident expectation in two places, both in Jesus' daily presence, but also his future faithfulness. So when we're talking about hope and we're talking about our expectation of what Jesus will do in our life, we're talking about it in two ways. Number one, our daily uh, presence, his daily presence for today, but also the fact that he will be uh, keeping his word, that he will be faithful in the future. It's not hope in a practice or a procedure as the Old Testament Christians we're accustomed to, but our hope is in Jesus. And in this proclamation of hope in Hebrews 6, we're introduced to this name, Melchizedek. So way back in Genesis chapter 14, in the time of Abram, we, uh, before the nation of Israel had been established, was Melchizedek, this king of Salem. He ruled over Jerusalem and was a priest of the Most High God. Let's read about him, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So as we learn about Melchizedek, we find that both Abraham and Melchizedek were compared to Jesus in order to show how much greater Jesus is. Melchizedek appears, like I said, in Genesis 14, and we never hear from him again outside of the book of Hebrews. He's compared to Jesus in some significant ways, but first he's compared to Abraham. The writer of Hebrews knew how much importance was placed on both Abraham and Melchizedek. You have to understand the Hebrew Christians put Abraham on a very uh, high place in their estimation. They looked at to him as the father of their faith. Abraham existed before the law, and yet he, was, uh, he believed in God, and so it was counted to him unto righteousness. He was the father of their faith. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews knew how much importance was placed on Abraham and Melchizedek. Abraham was before the law. He was righteous before God. He was the father of nations. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, boy, if Abraham is to be held in that much esteem, how much greater is Melchizedek? This gave Melchizedek a tremendous amount of influence and reputation. The The Jewish people also put a huge value on genealogies. Under Jewish law, a man couldn't be priest unless they were able to trace their lineage back to Aaron, the father of priests. This Levitical priesthood was very important to them. And so Jewish Christians would know exactly who Melchizedek was. He wasn't an ordinary man. He wasn't an ordinary priest. The promised Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, would come and be like Melchizedek. Look at verse number 4. Hebrews 7 and verse 4 says this, Just think how great he was. 
Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of his plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who became priests, to collect a tenth from people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are all descended from Abraham. He's explaining how tithe works, how how the gift of tithe works. Verse 6, he goes on to say this, This man, however, Melchizedek, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the the lesser is blessed by the greater. Here the writer of Hebrews acknowledges for his Jewish Christian audience and for us how great a person Melchizedek was. You realize Melchizedek, how great he was when you see that Abraham, the father of our faith, actually paid him a tenth. This showed Melchizedek's place in their faith. But this man, Melchizedek, he was an outsider, and yet he was able to collect from Abraham and blessed Abraham, the one who uh, the promises had been giving. And so in the act of blessing, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Verse 8, he goes on to describe this. He says, In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. What he's saying is this, we pay our tithes to priests who'd eventually die. But Abraham paid his tithe to a priest who the scripture says still lives. Ultimately, you could say that since Levi descended from Abraham who paid tithes to Melchizedek, that when we pay tithes to the priestly tribe of Levi, they end up with Melchizedek. you got to ask yourself, man, why is this so important? Why is all these details about who Melchizedek is and the law and the tenth, and why does this all make sense to them, and what does it mean to to us? Well, the reason the writer of Hebrews goes to to this length to honor how great Melchizedek was is to point to how much greater Jesus is. You see, while these Christians were facing some unusual times and some precarious situations, they were presented with little to no hope. They were running out of hope. The writer of Hebrews encourages them by telling him the only source of true hope, this strong, confident expectation both in Jesus' daily presence and also his future faithfulness, this type of hope can't rest in Abraham. Only rest through Jesus. We come to verse 11 and the writer of Hebrews poses a question. He says this, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law gives to the people established that priesthood, why? Everyone say the word why. How many of you found yourself asking that question in the last couple of weeks? Last couple of months? All of 2020? Why? The writer of Hebrews asked this question. Look at it. He says, Why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. The writer of Hebrews says this, Boy, if the system worked, if what we had, what you're going back to, what you're falling back to, if you're, if you're letting go of Jesus and you're going back to this, to, this, uh, to this old practice, this old procedure, why? Why did... Why did we need another priest to come? If the system works fine, why do we need Jesus? And the simple answer is this. The role of the Levitical priesthood to make sacrifices on behalf of Jewish people was done on a yearly basis. 
No matter how many rituals and sacrifices were completed by the priest, nothing could provide eternal forgiveness. The system was limited because it pointed to a Savior. It pointed to a Messiah who would come. It pointed to someone who would come who would provide forgiveness eternally so that a priest, we wouldn't have to go to a priest year after year after year. Jesus would become our forever priest. Now, verses 12 through 17, I'm just going to be honest with you, gets a little confusing. I'm going to summarize them for you. If the priesthood of Levi and Aaron, which provided this framework for the law, could really make us perfect, there wouldn't have been a need for Melchizedek. But since it didn't get the job done permanently or eternally, there was a change of priesthood, which brought with it a radical new kind of law or covenant. You see, Melchizedek's story provides a perfect analogy that Jesus, a priest like Melchizedek, not by genealogical descent, but by the sheer force of resurrection life, he becomes our priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this is what Jesus has accomplished in verse 18. The former regulation, this is the law, this is everything they knew before. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Why is Jesus our greater hope? Here it is, folks. Our hope in Jesus is greater and guaranteed because it comes with a solemn oath from God himself. You imagine that? The hope that we have comes with a guarantee, a solemn oath from God himself. Monday through Friday, we're attempting to go through uh, the book of Psalms, and we've been going through it chapter by chapter on Facebook Live. And uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at, I think it was last week, we looked at Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 is when King David wrote a prophecy about the coming Messiah, the anointed one in about 1000 BC, wrote about a coming Messiah, an anointed one. And the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 110 in these verses. I'd encourage you to go back to Psalm 110 and read them later. But in verse 20, 21, and 22, he quotes it. He says this, This hope, it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath. But he became priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Boy, a better covenant. He is our better hope, our greater hope. When things seem to be going off the rail, when 2020 happens in our life, how many of you think like in a decade or so, we're just going to use the phrase 2020 as an example of when things could go absolute the worst? I think we're going to say things like, well, at least, at least it didn't go 2020. I mean, it was a bad day, but at least it wasn't 2020. I think we're in that place. And so when things seem to go off the rail, we need real hope. We need the indestructible and everlasting power that we find in Jesus. Boy, Wednesday morning as I was considering the damage and the destruction that was happening in our county, and I thought about everything that we've gone through in the last five or six months, and then I thought about what is in store in the next couple of months. And I begin to have this overwhelmed sense of feeling that we are here to provide people the source of hope. 
He knows it all. He knows the doubts and the fears. And in Him we have this hope. Hebrews says we have this anchor sealed by a promise straight from God. This promise is in Him. And the message of Hebrews is this, don't give up because Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels that we talked about in the Old Testament who would come and deliver us news. He's greater than our sufferings. And in every moment of suffering, he's greater because he's present with us in those sufferings. And because of those sufferings, not only does Christ identify with us, but we identified with him. Because he says, boy, he was on this earth as a sinless, perfect example. He lived without sin, and yet he was tempted in every way like we are. So when we go through a trial, when we go through suffering, when we go through a moment where we say, man, no one can understand what's going on right now, rest assured there is a Savior who understands because he lived uh, this life, and he did so without sin. He's greater than our doubts and our unbelief. And in those moments where, boy, it only takes a little bit of faith to move a mountain, I feel like saying, good, honest right now all I have is a little bit of faith he's greater he is our hope he is our anchor he is secure and he's firm look at verse 23 Hebrews says this now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office but Jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he, Jesus, always lives to intercede for them. Boy, verse 24 and verse 25, we could spend a lot of time on just on those verses. I want you to look at the phrases and look at what, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage us with. He says in verse 24, because Jesus lives forever. Can we just pause on that moment for that phrase for just a moment because Jesus lives forever this is why we're here today this is this is the gospel message Jesus lived a sinless perfect life he died on a cross and he resurrected after three days and he lives forever. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 1 that he sits down on the right hand of God. Why is Jesus sitting down? Because the work is completed. It's over. It's finished. And he lives forever. Verse 24, he lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. And he always lives to intercede for them. I want you to think about that phrase. He always lives to intercede for us. Boy, if you have come to God, you have done so through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lives to intercede for them. Wednesday morning as I was reading this passage, I began to picture Jesus Christ praying on the behalf of Douglas County and all of Oregon and all of the West Coast. He lives to intercede for you. I began thinking about the moments in, our, in my personal life, in my family, and, and with uh, Libby's family, in our families, where Jesus is praying and interceding for us. And as much time and effort I think that we put into praying and, and caring and loving one another, I want you to rest assured that Jesus Christ lives forever, and in this moment, He is interceding for you. We are His. Don't lose hope because He's greater. 
I think hope is a funny thing. I was journaling this week about hope, and I began thinking, uh, I put a lot of hope in results. I put a lot of hope in results. And what the writer of Hebrews is acting, asking us to shift our way of thinking is instead of putting your hope in a result, is to put your hope in a person. There's a lot of promises that are made. There's a lot of results that we hope happen. We hope the fires are completely contained. We hope for certain outcomes in an election in less than 60 days. We, we hope for an, uh, our economy to do well. We, we hope that uh, our kids will grow up and do well. We hope that they'll graduate. We hope that they'll get jobs and move out. Amen? Um, we hope for these results. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to erase your definition of what hope is right now. And instead of hoping for a result, what does it look like for us to hope in a person? Jesus is the hope. And so as we reflect and respond, look at the end of your outline. Just a few questions to help center our heart on, on this conversation of Melchizedek and permanent priesthood and what our greater hope is. Number one, have you placed your hope for eternal life in Jesus? Boy, if you're listening to this and you're in this room or you're watching online, are you listening to this later? Have you placed your hope for eternal life in Jesus? Number two, what specific area of your life needs Jesus' Jesus's daily presence? So for today... Where would you need his presence? Remember, hope is this confident expectation in two places, in Jesus' daily presence, but also his future faithfulness. So what specific area of your life needs Jesus' daily presence? And then I would say this, what specific area of your life needs Jesus' future faithfulness? I want to read the last few verses from the message paraphrase says this in verse 26. So now we have a high priest who perfectly fits our needs, completely holy, uncompromised with sin, with authority extending as high as God's presence in heaven itself. Unlike the other priests, he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for his own sins every day before he can get around to us on ours. He's done it once and for all. He's offered up himself as the sacrifice. The law appoints as high priests men who are never able to get the job done right. But this intervening command of God, which came later, appoints the Son, who is absolutely, eternally perfect. Jesus offers us a greater hope. He is sinless, and because of his sinless perfection, he was able to offer up himself as our perfect replacement, our sacrifice. He is the Son of God. He sacrificed his own life for people that could not earn their way out of sin. So don't lose hope, but anchor yourself in a hope that comes with a guarantee from God himself. Libby and I uh, try to read our Bibles together on somewhat of a regular basis, um, and we have these plans that uh, the Bible app has, and you can read them with someone. We started a new one this last week on trust, 
And I want to read a sentence from Monday's devotion. The devotion said this, Whatever your situation, consider this truth. The strength of your faith is directly related to the trustworthiness of the object of your faith. The strength of your faith is directly related to the trustworthiness of the object of your faith. Think about that for a moment. If you don't believe that something is trustworthy, your faith in that object will be compromised. For example, if, if you know someone is unable to keep a secret, you're unlikely to trust that person with a highly personal or otherwise confidential information. Because they aren't trustworthy, you can't put your faith in them to hold a confidence. If you are a fan of a sports team that often lets you down, it's the opening week of football season. I thought we'd, I thought we'd hit there. If you're a fan of a team that often lets you down, what do you find yourself doing? You don't find yourself putting your complete faith and confidence in them. Let's say I need a plumber, and I do some research, and I see someone who is fairly inexpensive, but all the reviews say that their work is no good. It doesn't instill faith or confidence in me trusting them with that. The strength of our faith is directly related to the trustworthiness of the object of our faith. And so the trustworthiness of someone is ultimately rooted in their character. And so with God, he is wholly unlike anyone else. John tells us in 1 John, God is light in whom there is no darkness at all. Because his character is perfect, there is no blemish, no darkness, no imperfection, no deficiency. You can trust him because he is our greater hope. Let me pray for you this morning. Would you bow for prayer? If you're watching online, I'd encourage you to take this moment seriously. Would you bow with us as well? Our worship team is going to come forward and they're going to prepare us. They're going to prepare to, to lead us in some worship. But boy, if you have never placed your trust in God and you've never had a personal relationship with Him, maybe you've been skeptical of Jesus your whole life. Maybe the story of Jesus is too good to be true. And you've questioned him and you've questioned his word and you've questioned his character and you've questioned his faithful and you, you just have never put too much stock in it. Boy, it's my prayer that with the evidence from the Bible, you would be able to wrap your minds around this thought, Jesus is greater. Boy, and the only way to know God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Later in the New Testament, Paul says it this way. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. God saves you by His grace when you believe. And it's not something you can take credit for. It is the gift of God. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy. He says, There is one God and one mediator between God and us. 
And that is the man Christ Jesus. Why? Because he gave himself as a ransom for all people. This is how you know God, through Jesus Christ. And the only way to reach God is through Jesus Christ. And if you've never placed your trust in him, boy, I would encourage you to pray and place your trust in Christ. I would encourage you, if you're sitting in this room, to fill out the Connect card and indicate that you want to talk to someone more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're watching online, I'd encourage you to hit that message button and message us and let us know that this is the decision that you have made and this is the decision that you need to pray with someone about. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together. And John Hooper's going to lead us in communion And in that moment, you can identify with Christ by taking communion with us. Boy, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, don't lose yourself in this moment. Don't lose your identity in who God has called you to be. Jesus is greater. He is greater than the temporary circumstances of this world. He's greater than this pandemic. He's greater than our brokenness. He's greater and you can trust Him. Grapes are crushed to produce wine. Diamonds are formed under pressure. Olives are pressed to release oil. And seeds grow in the darkness. Your present circumstances don't define you and they do not stand a chance against the anchor of our hope, Jesus. You can trust him. Heavenly Father, in this moment we we yield our will to yours. And Father, as we, as we embrace the truth that you are greater and we can trust you, Father, I pray for those that need to make a decision for you for maybe the very first time. For the very first time, they need to place their trust in you. And Lord, we pray that today would be the day where they do so. where they claim forgiveness, where they receive the gift of eternal life and of salvation, we pray that today would be the day, Lord. Father, for us who are, who are followers, but Lord, we're in, we're in difficult times. We pray, Lord, that our hope, our confident expectation in you would not only be for today's present, but also future faithfulness. Help us not to lose our identity or our hope or our trust in you. But in this moment, Father, I pray that we would we would reaffirm and renew our trust in you. So that we can proclaim you Lord and Savior in our life. I thank you for the promises in our in your word that are true, that are great, that are secure and firm. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we are still in your hands. And this is our confidence that you have never failed us. So in this moment, we pray that you would show up strong in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, 
we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.